Bibles, if you would please, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Brother Mike was, uh, as he was praying, uh, was just praying that uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, that you would uh, feel welcome. And uh, I truly hope that if you're visiting with us this morning, that you do uh, feel welcome. And if you're uh, looking for a place to just walk with Jesus and to grow and to learn to love, it would be wonderful that this could be a place such as that for you. As we look at 2 Peter, there's so much. I don't really have the time. We're, we're, we're a little, running a little behind this morning, and I don't want to keep you here all morning. But I want you to be aware, in 2 Peter, what we're looking at is we're looking at the testing, the proving. What do you really have? That's what we're looking at. What do you really have? And so, here in 2 Peter... This isn't really an evangelistic book, meaning it's not preaching the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel. It's helping those who are believers, helping those who are new creatures to understand just how marvelous the power of God is in our lives and just how much God wants to change us to be the people that we long to be now that we're born again. When you were saved, if you're here this morning and you're born again, when you were saved, immediately there was this hunger in your heart that you didn't understand. You were aware that you were guilty and God has taken that, you know, was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. And you were so glad. I I remember being so glad that God would love me. Why would God love me? I was aware that God was holy and right and just and that I was wrong and that eventually we were going to have to meet each other and it was not going to go well, but that God would know me and love me anyway, just like the woman at the well, that God would know me completely and love me anyway. This I found marvelous. This I found wonderful. And so when I received Christ, when I was born again, when my life was changed, I had such a strong hunger to live differently than I had been living before. But what I didn't realize was that in my flesh, there was no more good thing than there was before I was saved. Meaning, in my own strength, I was not a better person. Now, I had a longing to be a better person, but how to perform that which I desired, I did not find that power within me. And what I have learned, and what we're learning is, the Holy Spirit, it was given to us. God Almighty came to live within us, just for this reason. What you cannot do, he can do. The sin that you will never conquer in your flesh, he has never failed to once. So if we will humble ourselves, oh, how, how, how necessary humility is, if we will be deeply honest about how greatly flawed we actually are, Christ will conquer that. And he will get the glory. But boy, we sure will get the good. We will get what we need above all things, and that is the peace that passes understanding, the knowledge that God has not just forgiven me, but empowered me to live differently in the time that's left here 
on the earth. And that's where we are in 2 Peter. The promise of 2 Peter is that there can be growth, that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God promises growth in your life. Let's read it, and then we'll just take a look at a couple of things. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them who have obtained like precious faith. So to those who have already trusted Christ, those who have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and and of Jesus our Lord, that you might know more about how great God is, is what he's saying. According... As his divine power, you really want to underline this divine power. This divine power is really important because this divine power is going to enable you to have the divine nature. And we're going to see that this morning. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things, everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, all of this according to his divine power has been given to you. Just like your salvation was given to you. Just like the blood of Christ was given to you. The power that you need to be the person that you so long to be given to you. The divine power given to you. That you would know these things. He hath, who, uh, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and to virtue, to a whole new life, a whole new quality of life, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Oh, how wonderful this is. This is what God says to you. I promise to do this. I, he says, God says, I'm not asking you to do your part. I'm promising to do it all. Let me do it all. Now, here's the only thing that happens when you realize that you have to let go and let God do all of it. You cannot brag anymore ever again in your life because you are very aware, I didn't do this. If there's any good thing in me, Jesus is what you're seeing and not me. Amen? And that is fine. Isn't that fine? Wouldn't you rather not be a jerk than to be able to brag and be a jerk at the same time? It's surprising to me how many people who I believe are truly born again, who are actually new creatures, want to keep a little bit of boasting. Well, your little bit of boasting is hurting everybody around you. So let it go. Let go your boasting. Let go your bragging. Let go your need to compare yourself with others and look favorably upon yourself. Let go of all of that and just see how great Jesus is. Because he, the Holy Spirit in you, is able to make a man or woman like you would never make yourself. That's what he's telling us. Called us to glory and virtue. These exceeding great and precious promises. That by these, by these precious promises, that we might be partakers of the divine nature. Remember we said the divine power was what God was going to use to make us partakers of the divine nature. So instead of acting like me... I can behave myself like Jesus as I'm conformed to the image of Christ. Amen? No longer behaving like I have behaved all myself naturally. Now, supernaturally, I can be a whole new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, this is true. But in order for this to be the reality of your everyday life, you have to allow these promises to work in your heart. And you've got to trust Christ for the promises. 
The other day I saw somebody say, um, how do they say it? Somebody said, uh, so have faith. They said, have faith in me. It was a, a program of some sort. Have faith in me. And the person said, no, not faith, trust. Trust me. As if they were two different things. And I thought, see, that's the problem. The world looks at, at, at those that have faith in Christ as if it's this kind of weird, odd, blind, nebulous force. God is not asking you to have some weird, blind, nebulous understanding. He wants you to believe him at his word. See, God wants you to trust him. But he wants you to trust him according to his promises. Do you understand? Not according to your feelings. Not according to what I say about his promises. Not according to what someone else says about his promises. He wants you to pick up the book for yourself and believe God at his word. Amen? That's what faith is. That's what faith is. And so here's what he says. So we might, through this, be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, no longer being driven by our own desires. That's what lust is. Lust, when we see the word lust, we often think of... uh, Sexual lust, actually, in, the, in America. It's almost always used in that context. But all lust is is what I want. That's all it is. Lust is simply what I want. If I want it bad enough, I will push you out of the way to get it. That's the problem with lust. Lust is my strong desire. Now, here's the good news. God has things that he wants. And one of the things that he wants is to conform you to the image of Christ. So instead of having what you want, have what he wants instead. So it says this, and besides this, this being true, giving all diligence. I really want to stop here for just a moment on all diligence. I don't have time this morning. We looked at it last week. You're not going to drift into what God wants for your life. You're not going to drift into being the man or woman God wants you to be. You're not going to drift into it. You're not. You're going to drift into selfishness. That's what you're going to drift into. But you don't have to drift into selfishness. You can purpose to let the Holy Spirit change you. That's what he's saying right here. Whereby, excuse me, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now, we have this multiplied, right? Go back earlier, it's in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied. God multiplying his power allows you and I to add in our lives what he wants to accomplish in our lives. Now, this is a distinct list. It has an order, and the order is important. He says, he gives us the order. It says verses 5, 6, and 7. There are seven things, the seven qualities of the divine nature that are found in a Christian. The seven qualities of the divine nature that are found in a Christian. We looked at three of them together last week. It was my plan to look at four of them together this morning. We'll see what happens. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now here, look up, please look up here. Nothing can change until you trust Christ. Do you understand? Nothing can change until you trust Christ. Pretending to trust Christ will not change anything. Make believe will not change anything. You can make believe well enough that I may believe you, that you actually are a new creature. You can pretend well enough to fool those around you, is what I'm saying, but you can't fool God. And if you're trying to fool us, eventually, by your fruit, you shall know them. And the lack of fruit in your life will show up eventually. By the way, put your ribbon here, go back to Galatians. Find Galatians quickly if you can. If you can't, just keep turning, and and I will get there when I get there. 
and go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. By your fruit you shall know them. This is a wonderful list, but it's also a very convicting list. Because the works of the flesh are up in verse 19. But in verse 22, we have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. So what does this look like? If, if the Holy Spirit is really at work in someone's heart and life, how will their life look? What will you be able to see if by their fruit you shall know them? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance, I said gentleness, right? Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So this list, love, now listen, listen to this list again. Listen to it and think about it. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. So these things right here, now I want you to be honest with you, with yourself. How much of your life is, are these the characteristics or the qualities or the fruit that people see in you when they talk to you? This is what God wants to accomplish in your life. Now, this sounds very simple, and it is very wonderful, and it is actually simple if you'll just stop trying in your own strength to do it. If you'll let God do what needs to be done, he can accomplish this in your life. Again, you just won't be able to boast about it or brag about it. Now go back. With that list in mind, go back and look at these things that God says. This is what, how I'm going to change you. This is what's going to happen. So it starts with faith. You know, it's interesting. Last week, I was talking about the fact that the order of these is important. And I made reference to a little toy. It's a ring, a ring toy, right? Uh, made by Fisher Price. It's got a, it's got a, a, a white base. It has a yellow pole that goes up through. This. The pole is shaped like this. And the rings have different sizes, outer and inner di diameter. And you put the rings on in order. And I asked, how many people recognize that toy? And a whole bunch of you raised your hand. And, and then two people sent me pictures last week of this toy. <laughs> and, and what I said was this. What God wants to accomplish in your life is he wants to conform us to the image of Christ that we would start with faith, right? That's the bottom. Start with faith. And then add to your faith virtue. So that's the first ring. Now, we're not going to talk about it because we studied it last week. But virtue is a moral excellence. In other words, when you're first saved, oh, I don't know what to say. How do I say this? If I told you the things that God gave me victory over when I was first saved, you might think that I'm bragging about what a terrible sinner I was. But there are things in my life that were terrible. And when Jesus saved me, he said, no more of this. No more of this. And so they were gone. These things were gone. No more lying, right? No more stealing, no more fighting, no more drugs, no more alcohol, no more women, no more, no more of these things, no more of these things, no more. I trusted Christ. He said, now I need you to be honest with yourself. I need you to be honest with me. And I need you to let me get rid of these things in your life. Then he says, on top of that is knowledge. Now let me show you some things, right? Let me show you what you don't know. And boy, that's a big list. Let me show you what you think you know and what you don't know. Amen? Anybody have trouble with that? Well, I had trouble with that. Oh, Lord, I understand. No, you have no idea. Right? I was like Nicodemus. Oh, Lord, we know that thou art a man come from God. Nicodemus, you don't know anything. Right? And I still wrestle with that. I still read passages in my Bible and think, oh, I see what you're saying here. And he says, shh, shh, shh. Read it again. Be still and know that I am God. 
Let me teach you. Let me show you. Let me make the change. So that's knowledge. That comes on top of that. Then after that, you'll see, if you look at the list, it says, so uh, add, to your, add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge. Then verse 6, and to your knowledge temperance. Boy, this is important. Add to your, and temperance is a strong lust or desire. Temperance is a strong lust or desire. What it means is this. What God is wanting to do is to give you self-control. That you would no longer just react. Anybody have trouble with reacting? Raise your hand if you have trouble with reacting. Anybody? Yeah, I have terrible trouble with reacting. If you didn't believe me, you could ask my wife about my reactions, or my daughter, or anybody else that's ever been around me for more than 20 minutes at a time. God has really done wonderful things, honestly done wonderful things in my heart about the way I respond. But here's how he did it, by convicting me that I was powerless to change how I responded. See, I did really well. I was really basically a wonderful person right after I was saved. It's just some of the people around me were really hard to get along with, that's all. I was great, but they were terrible, right? So as long as I wasn't around, so basically if I was all by myself, I was pretty good, amen? Anybody ever have that? Yes? You're in your bedroom, you're, you're in the bathroom, and you're brushing your teeth, and everything is wonderful. Man, I'm serving Jesus wonderfully today, amen? And you go out to have breakfast, and you run into anybody else in your house, amen? It's like, man, you are ruining my day, amen? Okay, what God is saying here is add to your knowledge temperance. There has to be a self-control. Now, here's the good news, and this is, this is really, the, I think this might be the best news in my life. Where I had no self-control, the Holy Ghost has tremendous self-control. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit does not get upset. The Holy Spirit does not fly off the handle. The Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is not confused. He's not anxious. He's not afraid. He's not, you know, I, he has none of those things, and praise God for that. The next one is where we begin, actually, this morning. That was a rehearsal. That was just getting back to where we are. The next one is patience. Patience. Remember, it was, we ended last week, and I said, next one's patience. You don't have to wait till next week to hear it. Amen? So you practice some patience. Patience. What is patience? And it's not just waiting. In its context, this word, by the way, turn to Romans chapter 2, verse 7. Romans chapter 2, verse 7. I'm going to show you this word being used someplace else. Let me say this. While you're turning to Romans 2.7, let me say two things. The greatest dictionary that you can have on your Bible is your Bible. The greatest dictionary that you can have on your Bible is your Bible. Find the word and then find the other occurrences of that word. That will help you a great deal. So, and now, with Bible software, everybody, your phone is, most of your phone, Chris, your phone, not your phone, okay? <laughs> Most of you have a phone that's perfectly powerful enough for you to open a Bible program, tap on a word, hold it down, and it will say, show me the key number for this. Basically, show me the number behind this, and then say, now show me the other occurrences of this number. And you'll look at the other passages, and they'll be bold where the word shows up, and you'll be like, oh, wow, that really helps me understand the word in this passage that I'm looking at. And you can do that. So what we're going to do right now, Romans, we're not going to look at all of them, obviously we don't have time, but Romans chapter 2, verse 7. It says, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Now this is obviously, it's got, a, it's got a, a colon at the end of it. And we don't have time to look at the whole context of this. But here I'm going to show you what it's saying. Only in what it's saying about patient continuance. Patient continuance, those two words are the same Greek word as we are looking at back in 2 Peter, where it says that we are to add patience into our lives. By patient continuance. So here's what this means. Here's what this means. God is going to win this 
in your life, let him. And wait. Wait till he does it, knowing he will do it. That's what he's saying. Listen, it's very easy. This is the thing. It is very, it's been easy in my life. I don't suppose I can testify to your life other than I'm very sure you're very much like me. It's very easy in my life to get discouraged when things go not like I want them to. In fact, especially when you have a sense that it should go a certain way. This should go like this, and it's not going like that. I quit. Okay? This should go this way. It's not going like this. I quit. I won't be involved in this or this or this or whatever it is. I won't do this anymore. And what God's saying, no, no, no. Let me win in your life. By the way, let me win in their lives too. Amen? Once you learn that God can overcome sin in your life, it makes it easier for you to be around others and understand that their sin is like your sin. It's just different. And the God who is able to conquer sin in my life is able to conquer sin in your life also. And it allows us to be patient as God is doing what needs to be done in our life. So what he says is this. After you learn self-control, now I want you to have patience. Now that you don't have to erupt when things go badly, you say, well, what do I do? What do I do when things go badly if I'm not going to erupt? And this is what he says. Wait. Wait. And watch what I can do. Yes? Wait and watch what I can do. To patience, he wants to add godliness. This is number five. To patience, he wants to add godliness. Now, godliness, now you'd think this would be last. Right? If there's a list of things that God wants to accomplish in my life, surely the last thing that God wants to accomplish in my life is godliness, right? If I'm being conformed to the image of Christ, that's got to be the end, right? But this is not what godliness means. In other words, it's not saying godlikeness as in being just like God. What it's saying is having, and this is the answer, the doctrine that promotes piety or godliness in your life. So here's what it says. At the beginning, at the beginning, we started with virtue. Virtue is the removal of wickedness in our life. Virtue is the removal of sins in our lives. Godliness is the addition of different things in our lives. This is where God uses the knowledge that he teaches us through the word of God and the patience that he does to bring us to a place where we simply want to live differently. You want to see it? Uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. This is godliness. 1 Kings, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. This is talking about prayer, right? Verse 1 talks about, first of all, prayer. First of all, prayer, right? And here's the prayer. Prayer for kings. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. For kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all what? Godliness and honesty. So here's what it's saying. Pray for those that are in authority that we can just live a godly life. In other words, that we can live as God would have us to live, that we can do so quietly, peaceably, and honestly. Isn't that simple? But here's the thing. It's not saying selfishly. That I can live the way God would have me to live, that you can live the way God would have you to live, and that we can live that way together. And that's going to lead us to the next thing, by the way. What God is wanting to accomplish is now that I'm no longer, that I, now that I have virtue, I no longer have these sins in my life. Now that I'm no longer erupting and getting angry about everything because I have patience, what he says is this, now, 
now. Have the godliness in your life and you'll be able to get from this point to the next one, which is number six, and that's brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. Literally, the Greek word for this is Philadelphia. That's literally the word. The city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. That's the, that. Now, if you've ever been to Philadelphia, you might scratch your head and say, really? Because I've been to Philadelphia, and it's not very loving, and it's not particularly loving. But when it was named, the purpose of the name was it was supposed to be a city where people, where people could see brotherly kindness or brotherly love one to another. Let's look at this. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. It's important that we take the moment to dig into these a little bit. We're going to see it in broader strokes next week. But I want, you to, I want to take a few minutes this morning to dig into this. Again, what we're looking at is God's power to conform each and every one of us into the image of Christ, to make us Christ-like. And this is what it looks like. This is the progression in our lives that God is wanting to make. Number six, so number six of seven is brotherly kindness. Uh, starting in Romans 12, beginning in verse 9. Romans 12, 9. And I'm going to read. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them that persecute, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. So here's what you see. You see after verse 10, in verse 10, we see what it is that God is wanting to accomplish, what love looks like. And then what we see after that is how it actually would play out in our everyday lives. But notice what he says in verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Now here's what this means. Brotherly love, and this is talking about love between Christians. Brotherly love is meant to be something that people would look at and say they treat each other really well. They treat each other, they treat each other with real kindness. They treat each other with preference. In other words, no, my brother, not me, but you. Let's work this out together. Let's let our lives be such that when people were to look at our lives, they would say, you know, when I get in a difficulty like that, that's not how I behave. I don't behave that way at all. And you'll be able to say, well, that's not how I used to behave either. But Jesus has made a tremendous difference in my life. This is what God is wanting to accomplish. This, by the way, see the growth? So we start out with this virtue. The things that when you're, as soon as you trust Christ, there are things in your life that can't be there anymore. They can't be there. And, if you, and as soon as God starts accomplishing that in your life, he takes you through this list and he brings you to a place where the way we treat each other is with a brotherly kindness, a brotherly love. That's what we just looked at. And that brings us to the last one. And the last one is charity. So if you go back to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. So it says, into godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Now probably everybody, most everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, probably most everybody here has some understanding of what this word charity actually means. It's agape, and it means love. It means the highest form of love. It literally is a kiss of peace. That's what it means, a kiss of peace. It is the idea of complete selfless love. That's what God is wanting to accomplish. Now it's quarter after 12, and we started a little bit late. 
And I want, I want to take a minute. There's, I have, there are so... If you start looking at love in your Bible, you find out that it's everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. I'm not going to say a lot, but I am going to read a lot. At least write the passages down. You can turn there if you'd like to, but I want you to hear what it says. This is what God says about love. In John chapter 13, verse 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. The mark of the Christian. By the way, remember what I said at the beginning? If you want to be at a church, it doesn't matter whether you're visiting for the first time, if you've been here for 15, 20 years, if you want to be at a church where people love each other, that's what I want too. I want Tidewater, I, as the pastor of Tidewater Baptist Church, what I want for Tidewater Baptist Church is nothing less than that we would love each other as Jesus would have us to love each other, period. By the way, if we'll do that, everything else will take care of itself. If we would, let, if we would be convicted about our own selfishness to the degree that God could conquer that and we would love each other as God would have us to love each other, it would change everything all by itself. I am so glad that God is doing this in our church family and this is what God wants to accomplish. We are not perfect at this because we are not perfect. Because you are not perfect and because I am not perfect, Tidewater is not perfect. But Jesus is perfect. And if you want this to be more true in your life, it can be more true in your life. Now you can say, well, I want it to be more true in his life, right? I am fine with me. It's him I have a problem with, right? There's your problem right there. See, that's not charitable. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. You have love one to another. John 15, 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. Romans 5, 8. For God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God's love is not a reciprocating love. Say this. Understand, I'm not going to say it. Get you to say it with me. Understand this with me. God's love is not a reciprocating love. Does anybody understand what that means? God does not love you because you love him. Why does God love you? And you know what the answer to that question is? I don't know. Why does God love me? I don't know. I do not deserve his love. But God commendeth his love toward me, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand? It tells us that we did not love God. We do now but we love him back. But that's not how God is. And so what he's saying is this, I want you to love each other, not in a reciprocating way. I want you to love each other, just love each other. So what he's saying is this, we'll we'll pick Chris because Chris is sitting. So what what, what God is saying to Chris is this, Chris, I want you to love Pastor. And Chris can say, Lord, I, I do love Pastor, and I will love him more as he loves me. Well, we're doomed. Do you understand? We're doomed. He has to be able to love me whether I love him or not because that's what Christ's love is. Do you understand? And I have to be able to love him whether he loves me or not because that's what Christ's love is. Now, if you find a bunch of people that are living unconditional love to one another, that's marvelous. It's beautiful. It's majestic. And by the way, Jesus can actually point at it and say, look what I've done in that group of people right there. And and angels look at it and say, man, that is marvelous. 
because we know those people and they are selfish. Look how powerful you are that you could change those selfish people into selfless, loving people. And praise God for that. That's what God wants to accomplish. And he's worthy of it. See, he's able to do it, and he's worthy that you and I would say yes. Now, by the way, you'll notice that what he's wanting to accomplish, we're going to see it really strongly next week, what he's wanting to accomplish in our lives is all voluntary. Once you trust Christ for your salvation, you are ready to go to heaven, just like that. As soon as you trust Christ, you're, you're, it's paid for. It's finished. It's over. Amen? It is finished. The blood of Christ has paid for your sins. You're not going to go to heaven if you do a good job from here on out. If you're truly born again, you're truly born again. But if you will add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to your knowledge temperance, if you allow God to make the changes He wants to change in you, you will arrive at charity. And the end of the commandment, the goal, right? It's on the wall behind our church. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. The whole point of church is charity. The whole point of preaching and teaching, the whole point of Bible study, the whole point of all doctrine is that God would bring us to the place where we love one another. Amen? Which is all he ever wanted to begin with. You understand? The whole reason that God made a law is because we didn't love each other. And he said, well, if you're not going to love each other, we're going to have to make some rules so you don't kill each other. That's the whole purpose. The law was not given to justify us. The law was given because we didn't love each other. But if we will let him, he will make us into loving people. That's what he's wanting to accomplish here. And who shall separate us? Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? And you, let's, let's turn there. This is the one we'll turn to. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter eight. I'm going to just read the rest of them and we'll be done. But I really want you to see Romans chapter 8. I'm starting verse 35. This is what God's love looks like. Uh, let's go, wow, where do, we, where do we start this, right? Let's start in verse 31. Maybe we'll just end here and we'll come back and pick up next week. Let's read this. What shall, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? If, listen, listen. If God is on your side, it doesn't matter who's not. Do you understand? If God is on your side, it doesn't matter who's not on your side. With God, one is a majority. With God, one is a majority. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, if he already gave us the blood of his son, if Jesus already died for us, what is he going to withhold from us now? And the answer is nothing. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Amen? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword, as it is written? For thy sakes we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, even if that was happening, I'm telling you, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, 
nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? That's God's love. And so what is it that God, in the book where God is proving what do you really have there, what is it he wants to accomplish in our lives? And the answer is this kind of love. As the Father hath sent him, so sends he us. So sent, he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So what God wants to accomplish in your life is this kind of love. Now, I want to ask you this. I mean this honestly. How many of you would like to be this kind of a loving person? Now, don't, please don't raise your hand to be seen raising your hand. But I, but I believe God, this is the invitation, if you will. How many of you want to be this kind of a loving person? Raise your hand if you want to be this kind of a loving person. Okay, put your hand back down. How many of you are aware that you're not this kind of a loving person? Raise your hand again. Yeah, okay, that's a really good answer, because that's the truth. Without Christ, we are not this kind of a loving person. Now, how many of you would like to be a part of something where that's what people see, is that kind of love? Yes? Yes? Raise your hand if that's true for you. That's all I want. That's all, that's all, that's all I want, as the pastor of Tidewater Baptist Church, that God would accomplish this in our lives. That's it. That's it. We are, listen, we are never going to be perfect, but we can't hurt each other. We can't be selfish. We can't lie. We can't be deceitful. We can't uh, um, do anything where we would hurt one another, where we prefer ourselves over each other. We just can't do those things because that's how the world already was before we were saved, right? That's what I was like before Jesus saved me. I was already like that. That's not a miracle. Do you understand? What is a miracle is that we would love one another. And that's what God is wanting to accomplish. Now, we'll pick up there. So we just finished looking at Romans chapter 8. Next week, somebody remind me, we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Anybody know what 1 Corinthians 13 is about? It's love. Yes? And what it says is this. This is what love is not like. This is what love is like. And this is what God wants to accomplish in our lives. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us these, these, these minutes together in your word. Thank you for showing us once again this morning what it is that you want to accomplish in our lives and how it's going to bring forth fruit in our lives that people around us would see the marvelous power of God. Not the marvelous power of Baptist, not the marvelous power of Tidewater, not the marvelous power of insert my name here, but the marvelous power of Jesus who is the Christ. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name.